This is the FMCG podcast. We speak with the leaders of today and hear their advice on how you can develop your leadership potential. Today we are joined by Josie Morris of Woolcool and we are talking about making everyday sustainable with the right wool packaging. Stay tuned and hear all about packaging, people, planet and profit. Let's get to it. Hi, good morning. My name's Rich and this is the FMCG podcast. We are Consumer Hub and we specialise in recruiting, marketing, innovation and sales professionals across the uh, FMCG sector. And today we're very excited because we've got Josie Morris, the Managing Director of Woolcool, on the show. And uh, Josie, thank you very much for giving your time to this show. This show is all about um, helping develop the leaders of tomorrow in FMCG by talking to the leaders of today. So can you just give us a, a quick run through kind of your career, your story and also Woolcool, who, who are you as a business? and what, what makes you exciting and different? Sure thing. So I'm hoping you've got a few hours for me to go through all that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm Josie. Thank you so much for having me on this. So anyway, long story short, I uh, went to uni, uh, left uni um, only a few years ago, I like to say, um, and going into um, into a sportswear company. And then um, a few years later, the opportunity at Walkall came up to start in a sales and marketing team. And then it's just kind of gone from there into um, me becoming MD. Um, it's a family business, so it was my mum's business, so she kind of started to step away, and then myself and my sister started to take it forward. Oh, very cool. um, yeah, so um, the concept really was founded by my mum back in early 2000s, and it was basically used for National Trust farmers uh, to send meat in the post um, instead of polystyrene, so in the very early days, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was a packaging consultant, and she developed it alongside the National Trust for their farmers to do exactly what we're doing now, but on a bigger scale. Amazing. I, I love the National Trust. That's a uh, blast from the past. Man. That's what we, we did every, every, every summer. We just get around different uh, kind of National Trust estates as family and kind of like mm-hmm. just, just such a good charity, isn't it? They're so, so good at kind of preserving heritage and the landscape. So it's, it's no surprise to me that obviously fantastic kind of sustainable ideas come out of a collaboration with the, with the NT. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's a family business then, um, how, how, how have you found um, sort of coming into your family business kind of after you've already had a bit of a career somewhere else in sportswear? Was it sort of, uh, did it feel very familiar or did it sort of feel like you were getting a new insight on something you, you sort of thought you already knew? Um, it's really odd actually because there's different stories about why people get into family businesses. Um, and the business, my mum always had her own business since I was, well, since I was born, before I was born, actually. I won't say how many years, because she'll kill me, because I'm so old. <laughs> and actually how old I am. I, but, um, yeah, so um, so back in, uh, back when she was younger, she's always had a consult like a packing design, basically. Her, her background is innovation, is, is, is design, is creativity, really. Um, and um, so I've kind of grown up in, like, a, her having her own business, and that being something that's very normal for me. But I really wanted when I, before I came into business, she said, she floated the idea to myself and my sisters a few times and kind of said, well, I don't really know, like, I don't just want to come in into it because it's family. I want to come into it, one, because you interview me and I, we actually got her partner to interview me um, and to make sure I was right for the job. And two, because it's right for everyone and not mm. just it's family. So that was really important for me. Um, and so that's where I went off and did other things before I came in, because I was like, I want to go see if there's a different world out there that um, that actually, and then it kind of, the job that came up sat in my skill set, well, my skill set, um, um, yeah, so sat within that really, the, the sales and marketing and chatty side, which you're seeing now. 
Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. That's really interesting. Um, that's really interesting that you kind of set up your own interview for that as well. I've not heard of that before. That's cracking. Um, and, and so one of the things I wanted to kind of ask you about is I, I've noticed that you guys, um, not only do you have a fantastically sustainable product, which we want to get into in, in a minute, but uh, you're also B Corp. So t- tell me about that decision. What prompted that and what benefits do you think being a B Corp business offers you and also the, the customer base? Uh, it's, it's a really good question, really. And I think that the first thing I think I always say is that um, no company's perfect. No matter how much you want to be, every every company has things they can do better, um, and particularly on environment and social goals. Um, there's always things you can do much better. So I think I always frame these conversations with we're not perfect and it's an opinion and, and we don't. This is my experience of, 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 of what I've done so far. Um, and there's. There's, there's right ways for some businesses and right ways for other businesses. Uh, but for me personally, um, and for the company, B Corp was really, it matched our values. So we got B Corp in February 2020. And before that, I was aware of it. Um, but their ethos around, you know, looking after the pe- people, planet, and also being profitable, that was, you know, one of the things that they wow. say is profit's not a dirty word. Um, they kind of, it kind of sat, quite well with us so a lot of what we were doing already we were kind of b corp without being a b corp officially so we thought it's a good way externally to kind of separate ourselves and say yeah actually we are doing those things and here's an external body that's saying it it's not just us um so yeah and and one of the big big benefits is the networking experience and the kind of knowledge sharing you get from the people then around you um within that network and they're really supportive as a group as well so you know, it's not, as I say, it's not for everyone, but it's certainly a really great basis for a good business that is also managing its impact on the wider world. So it kind of sets your values and mission in the context of the like-minded businesses that have a, an alignment with, with that sort of mission statement of, of people, planet, profit. Yeah, I think I think it, you know, for me, it makes a lot of sense. There'll be other people that will argue against it, I'm sure, but for me, it makes a lot of sense. If you look after your people, if you look after the people, you look after the planet, you'll have a sustainable business. And I don't mean sustainable in a green sense. I'm talking like a legacy, a business with a legacy. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's where it sits well with us. Um, yeah. and, and, and why I was quite keen to actually get a certification officially. Great. That's, that's really interesting. And, and am, I, am I right in um, saying that you guys are the only UK packaging company that is a certified B Corp? Yeah, there's a couple more now, I think, um, but we we were the first kind of of our time, and we think we're the only yeah. of our kind that, that do what we do. Right. Um, but yeah, we were we were which oh. we were quite proud of that. Oh, very cool. I think might said um, one of my friends, Rich Howell, uh, runs uh, the recruitment company Marvel FMCG. He's actually a competitor of mine, but we're very good natured about <laughs> it. And um, yeah, they've just become, uh, as far as I know, the, the UK's first uh, certified B Corp recruiter. And um, one of the things that they do is they give a proportion of all their uh, fees back into the Alzheimer's Society, uh, which is great. And he's got kind of a personal connection to that. And you kind of listen to him talk about it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really inspirational. It seems like a, a great, great concept. But just wanted to like, take it a bit further and ask you about the actual technology itself. What, what makes wool so special as a, as a packaging technology? What is it about wool um, that sort of sets it apart from other, um, I guess, other, other technologies that you could use, uh, you, you know, for, for transport or for e-commerce or, or pharma, etc. Um, so this is going to be a really um, 
cop-out answer thing, but I'll, I'll go into it. What I'm going to say is wool's been around since like 9,000 BC, right? So in terms of evolution and development, it's had what, however many thousand years of R&D. So, and to do the thing we're using it for. So it insulates a sheep, um, regulates, let's say it regulates the temperature of the sheep. Um, obviously the sheep gets sheared at certain points, but it still has a bit of wool on it, which, which provides it with the insulation against the cold or kind of regulation against the heat. So first and foremost, we've almost like borrowed that from nature that they, it's a, a material that's been created for, for regulation purposes. So if you take that technology and you go, this is what this material has been born to do for 9,000, 10,000, however many thousand years. And we're going to borrow that technology within our box. And we've created the way that we've created our product is kind of enhancing that. Um, and then within our box, it will insulate whatever's within that box. So, you know, the, the, the easy answer is nature's developed it for us. The more complex answer is obviously we've then invested, you know, a best part of well, millions of pounds now in R and D to develop right. the product so that it, we almost optimize that like natural element of it. Um, wool as a material has so many properties and I won't preach about wool too much, but um, it has so many great properties. Um, and alongside that, it's natural, it's abundant, it's renewable, it's compostable, biodegradable. So as a material, it's actually, it's a, it's a bit of a miracle material, actually. It's one that you can't replicate with any man-made fibre on its own. You have to have a combination of, of fibres to do what wool does. Wow, okay, that's really interesting. Um, so how does it um, compare in terms of the environmental footprint for um, polystyrene? I know it's, it's, it seems like an obvious comparison, but um, I, I mean, I, I've got some in my loft, I've got some wool insulation. Um, and I noticed that when you go to a builder's merchant, for example, I know this is a slightly different sector, but you know the polystyrene is always a really cheap kind of uh, insulating material. And on, on, on kind of cheaper, lower grade kind of e-commerce packs, you might get polystyrene in there. Um, wool, I mean, it's got these incredible uh, sort of benefits in that it's, like I say, it's got a depth of history in, in, in natural history. Uh, and it's also recyclable, a bit of a wonder material. But I mean, just in terms of that, that carbon footprint, which a lot of people are concerned about, how does it compare with kind of other alternatives like polystyrene? I mean, that are also quite mainstream. Yeah, so I think um, we're actually going through our carbon footprint analysis at the moment. Um, and one of the, the things we've come up against is our product isn't really, it doesn't really have a, a beginning of life assessment at, at the moment. It does, because mm. you've obviously got sheep. But yeah, yeah. what we're doing is, so our scope one and two actually is really cost, is really, um, so far what we've seen so far is really low compared to your kind of manufacturing of, of your, your poly polybots and stuff. The scope three, which is obviously a bit more out of our control, we're actually working with a couple of universities on doing specific to our product. Because the key thing for me with any measure of your impacts as a company is not just to take data from somewhere else, is to do your own. Because I think carbon footprint can be a bit of a gray area for some people. And, and the thing that I've been really passionate about is making sure that we're producing the right figures against the right measures, and then not doing something that either makes us look really, really, really good or really, really bad, obviously it can work either way, but trying to trying to find what the right answer is rather than the correct answer. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it means, it means that we can measure that really, because I think if you get the wrong measurement, you don't know what you're measuring, but scope one and two is quite easy to measure. Your scope three is obviously completely outside of, um, uh, kind of outside of your control in a way. Um, so that's something we want to get right. And then at that point, we can then start looking at kind of how do we offset this? How do we change this? How do we improve this? 
Um, and answer your question around carbon versus polystyrene, that will follow through once we've done our assessment, but certainly early days and past experience of doing like small projects on this, um, it's a lot, it's a lot better, you know, from a, from a um, kind of uh, an end of life, a, a middle and end of life point of view, um, yeah, you know, just a very simple analogy. Our size four box is kind of like this kind of size. It's kind of um, what probably like a, a bit bigger than an April sheet of paper, but in a box. Um, and you get probably about the equivalent on on two pallets. You get the equivalent of two hundred and forty boxes worth of that because it's flat packed. Um, the equivalent polystyrene box you'd get maybe twelve to twenty four on a pallet. Oh, really? Wow. So in terms of shipments in. You're saving fuel. You're saving, um, you know, energy from from, from your trucks. You're saving you know, foot foot lift truck, whatever that is. There's lots yeah. of savings and weight as well. So weight weight of the product. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even consider the fact you could flat pack it all, and I guess it is lightweight, isn't it? So that's 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 incredible. Um, so you, you mentioned there's a con- you said uh, did you say stage one, stage two, and stage three. Did I mishear that one? So it's a scope. So oh, scope. scope one, two, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. What does that stand for? So that's that's new to me. So if I sound ignorant there. So you have. Let me get this right because this is all quite new to me too. So um, you have scope one and two. So scope one is kind of what you can control within your own processes. So like our okay. warehouse, for example, it's it's how what what type of energy we we use. So you know, do we use renewable energy? Do we use gas? Do we switch our lights off? What kind of cars do we use? You know, it's, what kind of travel are we doing? Um, so it's looking at the things you do as a business. Scope two is your suppliers. So it's a little bit further out. Um, someone's going to correct me on this probably, but that's the kind of way I see it. And then scope three is almost like beyond that. So it might be two or three removed from you. Um, it might be, um, you know, something completely, maybe, yeah, so something further than that. So the control we have the most is over scope one. So scope one and two, then two, obviously, we can have a bit of control looking at, you know, talking to our suppliers, maybe changing suppliers or, or, or encouraging our suppliers to do different things. And then scope three is more about kind of raw material and how it's produced. So, you know, kind of scope scope three for oil would be probably getting the oil from the ground um, would be so, scope three, in my understanding. Feel free, anyone, to shoot me down, but that's my understanding of it so far. It's so complex that I'm still learning so much, and I've been doing this for three or four months now. So yeah. Oh, no, no. Thanks for the uh, yeah the whistle stop overview. That is very interesting. It's something I'm really interested in. So that's kind of new to me. I'm definitely going to be looking at that. Um, and so, so one of the things that I, I um, so just a quick bit of context for the guys watching this and listening to us. Um, I came across Woolcool because I ordered a Morrison's uh, bonfire take-home box for the family last year in lockdown. And uh, me and Mrs. were into recycling, composting, gardening, all that kind of good stuff. And we were just blown away by the fact that we got this box and absolutely all of the box from the um, just a very, very minimal plastic uh, sheet that covered the wall through to the wall and the cardboard could be recycled. And we composted the wall and there was a really good product information sheet telling the, the consumer how to recycle it all, which was fantastic. And we were just blown away by it. So um, so that, that's kind of why we're so excited to get Josie on the show. So yeah, but just on that point, I, I looked at your website and um, there was this really kind of like uh, in, informative page talking about the circular economy. I wonder if you could just elaborate on that concept because I'd not come across that until I looked at your website. I just think for those listening who are interested in um, how, how our industry that we all love can be more green, that concept could be could be really interesting for people to explore further. 
Yeah, sure. So um, I think first and foremost, um, packaging is, and I'm going to say this, but it, it is kind of true if you think about it. Um, packaging is really key because it's, I think it gets a lot, a bit of a bad rep, but it's really key for protection and inform information, really. So if you think about it, whether it's, I don't know, what ingredients are in a product, whether it's protecting your strawberries from going off, or whether it's telling you how many tablets to take, you know, when you've got a headache, it's really important that, and in sterile environments, for example, so it's really important that packaging's there. I think kind of um, in terms of, of um, the circular economy side, one thing we're aware of as a packaging company is, I think we have an ethos that basically says our impact, our responsibility, right? So when looking at all the wool going out, I was kind of going, well, what happens at the end of it? You know, what, where does it go? Where does it end up? And so we've kind of done like a three, a three stage approach almost, which is reusing your home if you only get one or two, because sending it back to us if you only get one or two isn't really from a carbon footprint point of view makes much sense. So that's your first kind of circular economy in that you can either reuse it in your home in a cushion or, or pet bedding or whatever, or like you've done in the compost, um, or you can reuse it in plants. So that's one option. Um, option two um, would be to um, uh, send back to us. So um, that's circular economy, really. It's it come back, it, so you can um, print off a label, send it back with, I think it's collect plus reusing at the moment, drop it off at a, a kind of a local a local shop, send it back to us. We would then reprocess it. So we wash and scour it again, and it either goes into new wall pools if it's suitable to do so, or it'll go into bedding or, or the like, you know, so, um, you know, like stuffing for, yeah. for bedding, mattresses. So they're the two options, really, that we can put it into. So there, there you've got reuse of the material. And then the third one is, is kind of encouraging, um, if you can't send it back to us or, you know, reuse-wise, um, um, you don't want to reuse it is encouraging it to go into the right chains so whether it is going to compost chain whether it's going you know the plastic's going in the right chain and the cardboard's going in the right chain so just around that education but as mm. i said the key for us around circular economy is giving the options so that you know that reuse recycle the reduced reuse recycle are kind of all addressed within 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 our story almost yeah right that's really interesting so you kind of taking that end output of the almost the packaging waste from the the purchase and then creating an input context for it again where it can kind of get integrated back into another use but making it easy for the the, the customer and the shopper to sort of get involved in that yeah 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 exactly yeah and engagement i mean it's a really great engagement tool and we get you know on our instagram we get so many pictures sent to us on of how people reuse it and um, yeah. from like little belt toys to compost to um, you know, we had one person who who who, who kid, uh, your child had a, a, a project and we created like a new test scene out of it. I was, I was oh, just right, like, cool. blew mind. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's something my kids really fascinated because we we went and put it in the compost and. Um, like my, my daughter, she's really into gardens. She kept just playing with it and looking at it and holding it up to the light and looking at how the light was sort of playing with the fibres. It's quite a beautiful material when you get it up close, whereas you compare it to, you know, plastic or polystyrene, they're ugly. Your kids aren't going to get to sort of play with the textures or get brought into the experience there. But, um, yeah, it was really interesting. The way they were kind of like looking at it and playing with it and talking about it, it was like they would a, a stick or a piece of wood that just catches their interest or, or a little rock. They're, they're funny kids. They just sort of, things catch their attention. They just spin off on it. And I just re was really sort of interested by the fact that yeah the product itself was just a very attractive kind of uh, playful product anyway that's just that's just me on the tangent but yeah that, that, 
I say it says a lot about me that that's the way I react to it too. Ah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> like natural materials just fascinate me. I think natural materials are really undervalued um, as, a, as a resource because there's so many things they can do just as well. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for plastic. I'm yeah. not a plastic hater. I think no, no, same. it's an amazing material, but you know, there's so many materials out there you could use as an alternative alongside plastic and plastic can be really great for certain uses. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's, it's a bit undervalued in a way, but I think it's coming back. There's a, there's a resurgence, isn't there, of the natural materials, which is obviously what we're seeing as well with what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, 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 uh, that's really interesting. And, and um, well, I, I guess that leads nicely, actually, into another question that I'd uh, chalked up to, to ask you, which is what are you seeing as some of the key trends in packaging at the moment? Um, I think sustainability is a big one. Um, I think reduction, um, uh, you know, trying to reduce the packaging. And I think going back to what I was saying before um, around packaging and um, the importance of it, I think there's a there's a balance. I mean, look at food waste. There's a reason that there's a lot of packaging around food is to reduce food waste. So you eliminate the packaging of food, you know, food, you end up with quite a lot of food waste if that's not managed in the right way. So I think some of the trend will be around reduction um, on how, how much can you strip out before it becomes damaging food waste. Uh, sustainability is a big one. Um, I think we try to be careful not to greenwash. You know, that's one thing we, tr- we try and do. It's the same about the investigation into carbon footprint is making sure that we're investigating the right thing and not just the good marketing story great um because that you know ultimately there's no point in doing it if you're not doing it the right way yeah. um and then i think probably trends around shipment of food online is, is a big one um and then in which case needs packaging so, so and, and i think going forward i think there'll be a there'll be um kind of a a debate between plastic and paper in the future you know which mm. one is actually which one do we use because paper is great but it comes from trees um and plastic has its uses and reasons for it so I, you know i think there's a lot of new materials coming through as well so it's exciting times really for the packaging industry yeah that's that's a, that's a really interesting term used there greenwash it is a bit of a, a pet hate of mine is uh kind of companies that, that talk the talk but primarily it's for their marketing story not really because it's a a value thread that goes through the whole business. I mean, um, one one of the things that I've because I eat a lot of um, vegan stuff. Uh, one of my favourite vegan products is uh, Mighty P Shake, uh, but I'm not a vegan. Um, but I, I've come across uh, some products. I'm not going to mention names um, that are vegan, and it's very much when you scratch underneath the surface, it, it's a marketing ploy. They're jumping on it because it's a bandwagon, and it's a, it's another thing to activate. Um, whereas you know the, the guys that I know that are really serious about their veganism, they've got quite nuanced views about how it all sort of fits together, and they appreciate that you know if you uh, are making something that's meat free but it's from a, a mono cropped uh, plant source, then that has just as many environmental problems as you know uh, meat that's uh, kind of mono cropped as well. So it, it it is an interesting kind of juncture, and I think a lot of consumers are probably becoming wiser to the fact that um, you, you know there is a, an ability. Um, that companies have to sort of tell their story honestly or like say just just greenwash it so it's, it's kind of great to hear your ethos on that because uh, because I, well I think it's, as a consumer who's quite engaged in this anyway and, and my wife certainly doesn't know as much about the industry as I do if she's not working in it but we're both wise to it so I think the more the more you can um, be really honest about kind of uh, your, your sort of uh, sustainability journey and not greenwash it like I say the more you're going to get people bought in and kind of hopefully contributing to the journey and contributing to your mission too I, I would imagine. 
Sure, yeah, and I think it's about balance. I mean, I, you know, I, um, from a life point of view, is and the same with the business. Really, is there's a, like a balance. You know, I'm kind of not either or. I'm kind of well, let's do a combination of. So you know, whether it's you know, and and it, all of it's personal preference as well, isn't it? You know, I, I, it's a bit like a diet. The way I kind of say it's a bit like a diet with sustainability. There's no, mm. there's no quick fix. You know, there's no something that you can do tomorrow that means that suddenly the planet is all saved and everything's perfect again. It's not the reality. Is it? You know, it's a bit like going on a diet. You can do the Atkins diet, but the chances are you put the weight back on in in a few years' time. Um, so the way I, that's where I see sustainability, which is you can do one thing and fix that, but the knock-on effect might actually be not the best thing in the future. So I kind of sit somewhere in the middle, which is is not good or bad, I guess. I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm not polarized either way, which is, you know, if you exercise and eat properly, you tend to lose weight. Like that tends to be the theme, but it takes longer. And I, that's how I see sustainability a little bit is if you do little bits of the right things and, you know, you switch your tap off when you do your teeth or whatever it is, if everyone does a little thing, it has a bigger impact and, it, and it's it's less imposing on people. Um, and it's the same, you know, as you say about kind of, um, you know, certain products and greenwashing is we try and sit somewhere in the middle that says we think our products are sustainable products. We know we can be better. You know, tell us where we can be better if you want to offer up that information to us. You know, we, we're open to that conversation and we're trying our best to analyze certain areas of our business to make them better as well. And, and no business is at the end goal. So I think it's also been okay to say we're not perfect and actually we are trying this is what we're doing to try we're trying to look after our people as well as the environment mm-hmm. so there's, there's a whole other thing yeah. than just the environment also people yeah so um you know I've gone off a bit of a tangent but really my take on sustainability is somewhere in the middle i'm not i'm not vastly either way um i know things need to change but it's you know, sometimes incremental changes are better than trying to do one big thing in one go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a pragmatic approach that tries to take the the whole with you rather than just highlighting um, sort of one lever in that whole big picture at the expense of others, isn't it? Like you say, if you um, push things through so quickly that they're not properly stress-tested, analysed, assessed, uh, and then that is to the detriment of something else within the environment or within, you know, the... the you know the, the people sphere. Um, it's not good for your other business, is it? Long term or anybody else. And I, I really, uh, really like that that philosophy. It's very, very nuanced. Um, what, what? Um, just the, the whole cool story. It's very engaging, and the, the website's fantastic. Really, edu- ed- kind of educational. Mm-hmm. What, what is it that, that you think um, people really connect with and resonate with? Because it sounds like you've got a very engaged Instagram following, which is very unusual for a packaging company. Like, what is it about the whole cool story that people are getting behind and get interested in? I mean, I can guess, but I, you might be best asking some, someone who's outside of it. Hunters. But I think, I, I hope, and I hope people see us as just, you know, not taking ourselves too seriously and, and kind of trying to do the right thing, you know, and whatever the right thing is, you know, but, you know, we're trying to build, ultimately, we're trying to build a business that's got a bit of a good legacy to it, you know, trying to do it in the right way, trying to engage people in different ways of working, you know, whether it's how we engage with our team or with, with our customers and suppliers. Um, and hopefully that comes across. I think we just, I think we're just trying to be, I think we're trying to just be who we are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, sounds a bit cheesy. And now I'm saying it, I think it, it may not be coming across the way that I mean it. But yeah, I think generally we, um, I think we're trying to be what we are and just, this is who we are and this is what, you know, this is what we do and kind of why we do it. 
Um, I think people quite like it if, if there's some real stuff out there. And I think we're the first to poke fun at ourselves and we're kind of the first to go, we know that's not quite right, we're working on it. Um, and I think also we, we, we from, a, from an engagement point of view, I think there's, there's a thing, isn't there, around sheep and animals and the fact that um, people perhaps buy into the, the natural side and the, they like the fact that we're doing something with something that's so historic and natural. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that has a, you know, we do post some pictures of like puppies and, and, and sheep, which I think helps also. Always a winner. Yeah, my, <laughs> my kids are obsessed with uh, Herdwick sheep from the Lake District. Uh, my, my youngest lad's got about three herdy teddies and everything's herdy. And um, yeah, oh, they, just, they just love sheep. They just think they're cool. Uh, so why, why not? More sheep, the better. Um, so just t- taking it up a level to corporate partners then. Um, I mean, the last year has, I would imagine, offered uh, lots of opportunities for you to support because I know you guys specialise in um, sort of pharma solutions, packaging and also e-commerce as well, kind of two USPs that you, you've invested in. Um, what, what, um, what are kind of corporate partners looking for from a, a packaging supplier like yourselves in this day and age? And then within that, who's your, what's your kind of ideal you know, client profile? Um, so I think um, it's a very good question. Um, I think the corporate corporate side. I think going back a little bit when when the blue, before the Blue Planet episode, yeah, everyone knows it, don't they? Before that, we sold on performance, then cost, and then environment. And actually, the, the biggest driver for most of our customers was cost. Fast forward after the um, and then sustainability was just on the side. By the way, it's sustainable, but we also it's, it's cost effective and it's something that performs the same, if not better, than polystyrene. So you were selling on that. Going forward, kind of um, after David Attenborough's, uh, so David Attenborough's lovely, um, uh, very informative Blue Planet episode, um, we were starting to see a shift. So it became sustainability started creeping up. So to the point where sustainability and cost started becoming equal and performance used to be well does it work so the first question would be is it sustainable you know how is it sustainable actually would be the first question whereas before no one really cared or people did some did we had some great partners when we first started out that were bought into sustainability over anything else but corporate wise you know it is cost driven it is performance driven sustainability was kind of down on the agenda what we're seeing now is sustainability becoming a higher a higher part of the agenda because whether it's because they generally care which I think a lot of them really do I think they're trying to make a difference and they can see that they can make a big difference or whether it's because they're seeing a marketing opportunity for me it doesn't really matter either way because at least they're making a change um so um in answer to your question I think the sustainability side is what the corporate companies are starting to look at more with also the gambit that it has to work and has to fit within a cost so I think there's a almost you know, it's a battle when you, you when you sit in a meeting. I was sitting in a meeting a while ago with a pharmaceutical company, and there was twelve people in the meeting, and there was a finance person, a quality person, an environmental person, a product person, an operations person. You, you, you know, you're trying to hit so many different angles, um, but yeah, I think sustainability is becoming higher up the agenda, and I, and I would say corporate wise, it's something that is 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 becoming more and more aware um, of. Um, so interesting. Uh, yeah, so um, who would be our perfect? I mean, we'll work with anyone, um, to be honest with you. Um, I think the most perfect type of client would be one that's open um, and isn't just looking at... We are cost-effective, and a lot of our solutions are actually 
have improved people's cost base. But when you're looking at just costs, it's very hard to work with someone who's just driven by unit cost. So it's someone with that balanced statistic approach that goes, sustainability is important, performance is important, cost is important, but we're happy with the whole product mm. rather than just the true cost of it, rather than just the unit cost and driving that down. Yeah. Um, so I think the perfect person would be someone who had a similar kind of mentality on balance rather than, you know, extreme cost saving. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, so kind of, uh, I guess it takes it back to values, doesn't it? Making sure there's an alignment there in that holistic values-driven approach. Um, yeah. And then just fi- finally, Josie, I'm pulling my line again here. It's, uh, it's gone off. Here we go. I've got it. got it. Um, all right. What do you see as the future for Woolcool going forward? Are there any kind of exciting projects that you can give us a, a quick snapshot or window into? Um. um... There's, there's one at the moment that's quite exciting, but I, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to do that thing where I go. I can't tell you about it at the moment, but um, I think I think we're looking at different markets. So one of the exciting things is looking at where the wall communities in different markets. That's that's quite an exciting project. There's a couple of other kind of um, wall-based insulation type of products that we're looking at, um, and then just just developing the company. I think one of the things our focus is on is making sure we're still providing quality. To customers but also um developing so you know focusing on our r d and really developing products for the future and then also creating a business with a legacy that people are proud to be part of so one of the big things for our team is that i want them to feel like they are because they are why we're where we are you know it, it has nothing to do with myself um it's to do with the team and how hard they work and the passion they have but I want them to be proud of, of what we're doing and not something they're going, oh, I, you know, I don't like what we're doing. I want them to actually genuinely feel part of it and, and, and be proud of it. Um, so I think that's really key that we continue that as we grow, because that's a really difficult thing to to keep an ethos as mm. you grow with a lot of people. Um, so that was where I kind of want to see it going um, and, and, you know, have the growth, not at all costs, not growth at all costs, but a sustainable growth that means that we can provide jobs for the area as well. Right, that's really interesting. It's um, a lot of different answers to that, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 it's great. No, it's, it's really good. It's, it's honest. That's 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 uh, that's what makes these podcasts fun. It's just people uh, sharing their story, honestly. Um, and just, just on that point then, like, what, what are you most excited for? Um, not just your own company, but the industry itself. Like, what are you most excited about when it comes to the packaging industry? Um, I think, I mean, it's kind of, I guess it's married a little bit to what we're doing at Walker, but it's the developments coming through. I think it's really exciting to see the different developments, whether it's a product development or it's a development in recycling. So I think there's a few things that are happening at the moment kind of bubbling under that are to do with recycling of materials, which is great because I think it's great having new developments coming through and new materials, but if there's nothing at the end of life, it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a bit, not pointless, but it's difficult. But I think... The recycling ethos, you know, the, the changes in legislation, things like that, that that improve recycling, that's quite exciting for me because I think if that changes, the beginning of life is important to look at, the middle of life, but the end of life, if something ends up in landfill, it's kind of a wasted material. But if it can go through a recycling, a joined up recycling scheme, that is a lot better because then it gets reused. Um, yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, new development and, and new opportunities for recycling, reuse of material, they're the two things I'm hoping to see more of and, and I think there will be in the next five years quite a lot of change within that yeah that's good yeah no I mean we uh, where we live in Wakefield actually um 
props to Wakefield because our recycling <laughs> system is better than Leeds <laughs> or all you people in Leeds watching. Um, but actually, it's been great um, watching the council really kind of uh, put the money where their mouth is and they built this huge new uh, kind of waste processing site. It's basically a new tip. New, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't sound very sexy, but actually the, the number of things you can recycle now versus 10 years ago when I moved here is, is phenomenal. Um, and you, you see actually that percolate down into the way people, you know, uh, sort of do do the do in the day to day on a street level. Uh, you know, people recycle loads more around here than they used to do. And, and actually um, policy changes, technology changes, um, you know, across the board do really impact stuff on the ground. So I think it is a pretty exciting time. And uh, if you can be a part of that, that's, that's great. But just finally, because the whole point of this um, podcast is about kind of equipping the leaders that are coming through the industry. Um, are, are there any like resources, you know, podcast books that you've come across, read, digested that, you know, have really made an impact um, on your leadership style or kind of your leadership expertise that you recommend to people watching or listening to this? Um. Probably, um, there's a, I mean, Pete, this is probably cliche, but there's a guy called Simon Sinek that talks about um, uh, why. The, I'll start the why with why. Yeah, you start yeah. with why, yeah. And actually, you know, we always do start with why. Now, whether that's because I always used to ask why as a kid or whether that's because I saw that that video, there's a video, uh, a TED talk about it. I think it's why leaders, something about like action with leaders, I can't remember it now. But yeah, so basically that's a really good, if you just, I guess Google Simon Sinek and, and start with why there's a, there's a really good um, video of it, him giving a TED talk. And I think for me, I think if you start with why with everything you do, you're more likely to get a better outcome because you understand what the motivation is. Um, of, of Because ultimately everything's driven by humans, isn't it? So if you understand why someone's doing something, you can almost then change or, or adapt what you're doing to, 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 compliment that person does that make sense yeah so like within our team if we explain to our team why we're doing something they're more likely to get on board than if you just shout at them and tell them what to do you know because actually they're like well why are we doing that because that's the first question is if you tell someone what to do they ask why yeah because if you tell them why then they're not going to ask why they know mm. so yeah that that one probably and i think that i don't know who said this to me but it's always stuck with me is just don't try and be someone you're not in you know, don't try and be a manager, just be who you are. Um, and I think that's a big one. Because I think if you try and be a manager, you end up, um, if you change your personality to be a manager, I don't think it comes across right. I think you just be who you are, even if you're a bit of a fool like myself um, and people roll their eyes at my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you crack some good uh, good dad jokes? I like to think they're very funny, but um, <laughs> in the office, I think people laugh out of pity. I think that's what happens is they laugh. <laughs> Or they laugh because they feel like they have to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, but other than that, I think they're the two things that have always stuck with me. Cool. Right, no, that, that's great advice. And, and um, yeah, where can people find you? Where can people follow the Wool Call story? Um, so, if you've got a website, www.woolcall.com, there's a lot of information on there. Some around recycling now, we've got a whole new recycling page, which is really great. So, people looking to know what to do with our product. Um, we are Wool Call on across social media. I want to get a TikTok at some point, which I think will be awesome, but not sure what to do on that. Um, and then obviously LinkedIn, um, it's just Wool Call. Um, so there's plenty of ways. And as I said, if anyone's got any suggestions, please do reach out, you know, suggestions or feedback or anything. We're always open to, to ideas and, and all sorts. You know, it's got to be engagement, hasn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, guys, if you've uh, enjoyed uh, the show today, 
please do go and follow Woolpool across social. Check out the website. Honestly, I've looked at lots of corporate websites in my time. There is so much stuff on there. It's really interesting, um, especially if you're a bit of a yeah, sustainability geek like I am. Um, you will you will love it. Not 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 kidding you on that. And uh, Josie, thanks again for your time. It's been super. Really enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you for investing in this podcast with us, and hopefully the careers of the people that are listening. And uh, we'll see you soon, guys. Next time. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you.